Space, the final frontier. This is the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. It's mission to explore the solar system, to seek all new observations and data, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now the host of the Observer's Notebook, Tim Robertson. Hello and welcome to episode 106 of the Observer's Notebook podcast, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. I'm Tim Robertson, the host of the Observer's Notebook and also the coordinator of the training program within the ALPO. Thank you for downloading and listening. The ALPO collects and analyzes observations of various solar system bodies and associated phenomenon and publishes detailed reports concerning these bodies in its quarterly publication, The Journal of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers, also known as Australian Astronomer. This podcast depends upon donations from you, our listeners, to keep it alive. If you enjoy what you hear on the podcast, you can donate to it via Patreon by giving as little as $1 a month. If you feel even more generous, for $5, you receive early access to the podcast before it goes public. For a monthly donation of $10, you receive a copy of the Novice Observer's Handbook. And for $35 a month, you receive producer credits on the podcast. You can help us out by going to www.patreon.com slash Observer's Notebook. And if you'd like to join the Alpo, you can for as little as $18 a year. For more information, visit us on the internet at www.alpo-astronomy.org. And you can also find us on Facebook. Just search for ALPO Astronomy. And this podcast also has a Facebook page as well. Just search for Observer's Notebook. If you enjoy what you hear, please subscribe. That way you'll never miss another episode of the Observer's Notebook. And now, episode 106 with Carl Hergenrother. And we're going to talk about some brand new, or not brand new, some brand new observing of comets that are out there right now. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back to this edition of the Observer's Notebook podcast. And we have a special guest returning once again to talk comets, Carl Hergenrother. Welcome back, Carl. Thanks for having me yet again. Yeah, well, this has been a good year for comets so far. We Coming into the year, I didn't think it was going to be all that much. No, this was supposed to be a pretty boring year. Um, there were maybe three comets that were expected to be brighter in, say, 10th magnitude. And, of course, as we've, as we've seen, we've had a whole bunch of surprise events. We had, uh, remember going back to March and April, we had uh, 20, 2019 Y4 Atlas, which got up to 7th, 8th magnitude and then dis- disintegrated before our very eyes. Right. We had uh, F3, 2020 F3 Swan, which got up to about 5th magnitude and then itself fell apart. And of course, every, everyone remembers Neowise, which was, oh, yeah. at least for us in the Northern Hemisphere, brightest comet in over 20 years. Yeah, that was, that was pretty amazing. Yeah. So what do we have coming up now? Or we actually have some in the sky right now. That are, we do. Are... In fact, there's four comets right now that are at least brighter than 10th magnitude, 10th or 11th magnitude that we can see. Um, the one that is probably the most in the news has been a C2020 M3 Atlas. And this is a Halley-type comet. Uh, Halley-type comets are, depends on people's definitions, but usually have orbital periods between 50 and 200 years, or some people will say 20 and 200 years. 
This Atlas comet actually has an orbital period of about 138, 139 years. Okay. And it was discovered back on June 27th by the Atlas Survey, which is the Asteroid Terrestrial Impact Last Alert System, which is one of the uh, near-Earth asteroid surveys funded by NASA to detect objects, you know, before they hit us. Now, having that period, though, have we observed it before from Earth? Doesn't look like we have. Okay. And one reason for this is it's not a very intrinsically bright comet. Okay. Um, it has, right now, it's currently near its peak brightness, which is somewhere between magnitude 7.5, magnitude 8. But it's also only 0.36 AU from the Earth. So it's about as bright as this comet actually can get. Okay. Because perihelion, which occurred about a month ago, is at 1.27 AU. So it just happens to be as close to the Earth as it can possibly get. So chances are when it last returned 138, 139 years ago, it was much further away and might have okay. been... It might have been discoverable visually, but you never know. It could have been on the other side of the sun. There's a lot of other things. That, okay. Yep. Great. And so this comet right now, like I said, it's peaking at about magnitude 7.5, magnitude 8. Um, like a lot of Halley-type comets that don't quite get too close to the sun, it's a big fuzzy gas ball. And so it's big and diffuse, about 10 arc minutes, possibly larger. Oh, my. But it's a low surface brightness object. So I know even from my backyard where I have magnitude six skies um, and 10 by 50 binoculars, I can barely make it out. Okay. With my 30 by 125 binoculars, it's a little easier, but it's definitely not something that, you know, hits you in the face, you know, screaming, I'm a comet. It's something you need to actually search around right. for. Seventh magnitude spread out over that distance is not all that bright. Right. And for a lot of people using larger aperture telescopes or higher magnifications, they've been reporting the comet at eighth, ninth magnitude, probably because okay. they're only seeing the innermost part of the coma. True. Okay. And this is a, and this comet had its closest approach to the earth um, only a couple days ago. So now it's moving away from the sun. It's moving away from the earth. So at least over the next couple of weeks, it should gradually fade from around, you know, magnitude seven and a half to eight, probably down to magnitude nine by mid December. Um, it is well-placed for most observers from both hemispheres. It's pretty close to the opposition sky. It's currently in Orion. In fact, it just oh, okay. scooted past Bellatrix only a couple of days ago. But it's continuing to move north and will continue through Taurus and Auriga through the end of the year. Great. Great, great. So the brightest comet in the sky is actually another Atlas discovery, but it's not named Atlas. It was actually named after the individual who discovered it. And this is C2020S3 Erasmus, if I'm pronouncing that right. Okay. And uh, Nicholas Erasmus actually works for the South African Astronomical Observatory, but he's been doing observations or at least reducing the data for ATLAS. Now, ATLAS has two telescopes in Hawaii. They have these wonderful half-meter F2 astrographs, and I oh wish my. I had those for my backyard. <laughs> and they have one on Maui and one in the big island of Hawaii. Wow. But they are spreading. They're going to... Uh, build at least one, maybe two, I think it's possibly two telescopes in South Africa. So they can cover the Southern Hemisphere. And so the reason why M3 was called Atlas, but S3 is named Erasmus after the observer was because there are different rules for how comets are named. Mm -hmm. And one of them is if you discover, if you're at a professional observatory, a professional survey, and you discover a comet, but you don't recognize it as a comet at the time, it's named after the survey. Okay. If you recognize it as a comet, 
you can have it named after the individual who discovered it. Now, some okay. surveys, like if you remember Linear back in the day, right. 90s, early 2000s, and Panstars, they're all named after the survey. But other surveys like Atlas, like Catalina, like Spacewatch, um, and even the, the Zwicky Transient Facility, which uses the telescope on Palomar, the 48-inch Schmidt, if the observer notices it as a comet, reports it as a comet, it can be named after the observer. So that's okay, why so S3 is named Erasmus, but M3 is named after the survey itself. Okay, you have a couple comets named after you when you were working on Catalina, right? I do, yeah. I do. I've got uh, three comets that are named after me, and then I do have a fourth comet, which is named after the survey, but was a discovery mine. It just wasn't reported as a comet at the time. Okay, so it's the same basic rule then. You probably identified right. it as, okay. Great. Right. So just because, you know, you count up someone's name and you go, you know, like Rick Hill has 20 odd comets. It mm -hmm. doesn't mean he didn't discover more comets. It's just they don't have they don't bear his name because at the time they weren't identified as comets. Got it. And that can be because maybe the comet was inactive when it was first discovered or it was just cometary activity. It was a low activity comet or it was very faint in the you know cometary act or it was bad seeing and cometary activity just wasn't noticed at the time. So it's not the fault of the observer that cometary activity wasn't seen. It just wasn't easily recognizable. Yeah, and well, that is, well the Atlas and, and Catalina surveys really weren't set up to discover comets, though, were they? No, their focus is on asteroids, but to be yeah. honest, comets are just other moving objects. True. They, they, True. they naturally fall out. Okay. And, you know, the surveys are there to detect dangerous asteroids before they hit the Earth, but... Right. There also could be dangerous comets that hit the Earth. There, there are much, many less of those, but you know, they're also near-Earth objects. Good point. So this Erasmus comet, C2020S3, um, it was discovered back on September 17th, so only about two months ago. And it was 17th magnitude. And at the time, it wasn't expected to get too bright. But it's also kind of like M3. It's, it's what we call dynamically old, which means it's a long-period comet that's come around before, at least once before. And while its orbital period isn't as short as M3 at you know, around 138 years, it looks like Erasmus has an orbital period more in the order of about 1,800 years, give or take mm -hmm. a few centuries. So it has been around before. And it rapidly brightened. And I was kind of surprised when I went out. I, I, I observed it the last week of October around ninth magnitude. And then I went out again about a week ago. And I hadn't observed it for about a, a week or two just because you know the moon was bright. Mm -hmm. And I was just sweeping with my 30 by 125s and boom, I found this bright seventh magnitude globular cluster. <laughs> and then I'm like, well, there's no globulars here. And I'm like, is this really Erasmus? I'm like, holy cow, the thing's up to seventh and a half magnitude. Wow. So it looks, it's interesting because it looks like it, 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 it rapidly brightened to about nine tenth magnitude and then didn't do anything for two weeks. Then it looks like it rapidly brightened again to around seventh, seventh and a half magnitude. And again, it looks like it hasn't done anything for the last week. So it's kind of doing this like stair step brightening. But it is rapidly closing in on the sun. Perihelion's at 0.4 AU, which is pretty close, mm -hmm. on December 12th. Okay. Unfortunately, as it's diving close to the sun, it's going to be harder and harder to observe from Earth. And in fact, ground-based observers will probably end up losing it by the end of this month just because it's too close to the sun. Oh, okay. And then it never really pulls away again. So chances are this will be our last time, even if Erasmus does survive and doesn't break up, and right now there's no evidence of that, 
but chances are we're, we may not see it again because it's going to spend the next four or six months just too close to the sun to be seen. Luckily, though, it will be observable in the SOHO uh, chronograph images. And in fact, it's already observable in the stereo, stereo A, which is one of our solar watching tel- uh, spacecraft as well. You can already see it. So we will be able to follow it somewhat with our sun watching assets. Okay. And when you, when you mean it's, co- it's going to be too close to the sun, that's visually, it's going to it's going to move away from the sun, but from our perspective right. on the earth, it's going to be invisible because it's going to be too far away. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. It'll be, you know, perihelion on December 12th. After that, it moves away from the sun, but unfortunately just because of the alignments, it'll always be kind of behind the sun from our perspective. Okay. So now's the time to get out and look for Erasmus. Exactly. And unlike M3 Atlas, which is a big diffuse fuzzball, I mean, S3 looks like a globular seventh magnitude globular cluster. Very condensed, very small, three, four arc arc minutes across. It looks like a nice globular. No no hints of a tail at all yet? There are hints of a tail. Um, CCD imaging has detected a quite significant dust tail that looks like it's maybe up to a degree long. Okay. Last night, was the f- this morning, was the first time in my 30 by 125 binoculars, I saw a hint of a tail. And I measured about... Okay. 0.2, degrees. It wasn't bright, but it was in the right direction. And yeah, there was finally a tail, which I, is funny because I just emailed a few people saying, I'm surprised I haven't seen a tail yet. <laughs> this morning I saw a tail. Okay. Now where, where in the sky, what time? Oh, right. Right. So S3 Erasmus is a morning object. Right okay. now it's actually in the constellation of Corvus. So it's something that you're only going to pick up you know, maybe a half hour or so before the start of astronomical twilight. Okay. All right. And then we have two more comets. We have in the evening sky, 88P Howell, which is a short period Jupiter family comet. And this is its ninth return since it was discovered by uh, Ellen Howell, who used to be a, who was at the time an undergrad at Caltech, is now actually University of Arizona and one of my uh, co-science team members on OSIRIS-REx. And uh, this is 88P Howell has been observed. This is its ninth observed return. It was seen, like I said, discovered in 81. Prediscovery observations were found in 1955, and it's been seen every return since 81. And this comet, its perihelion distance has really gradually been falling with time. It was out at 1.9 AU back in 55. It was at 1.6 AU when discovered in 81. And now it's dropped to 1.35 AU. And that decrease in perihelion distance has resulted in Howell actually being a nice 8th to 10th magnitude comet almost every return now. Oh, wow. So it's actually kind of entered that upper echelon of short period comets that are become nice and bright, and you can follow almost every time. And what causes it to get closer? every every? It's gravitational interactions mainly with Jupiter Okay, that are doing it, right? And this is about as close as it gets, and I think it starts moving out again. So that's usually what, what you see with comets is that the perihelion will start moving in and then we'll start moving back out. So a lot of these comets that we see like Everton in, like schwarzman wachmann 3, mm-hmm. we're only seeing them bright because perihelion happens to be kind of at a minimum in that cycle. And then they'll move back out. And then in 100 years, it'll be maybe a different group of short period comets that are now far from the sun and faint that have now migrated in or a perihelion have migrated into these smaller distances. Okay. So 88P Howell um, passed perihelion almost two months ago at 1.35 AU. 
it doesn't really get especially close to the Earth, which is kind of amazing. We, if we would actually have a really close approach to this comet, it would be a nice six magnitude object. But it does seem like it's fading a little slower than we expected. So currently it's around ninth magnitude, probably between magnitude nine, nine and a half. Again, big diffuse fuzzball. And it's actually located in Sagittarius. So it's only a few degrees from Jupiter. In fact, I was mm. using Jupiter. I would find Jupiter first and then no. do my star hopping down to the comet. Okay. Unfortunately, the moon is getting brighter. So it's going to be a little harder to see Howell for the remainder for the next week or two. But it should still remain at least brighter in 10th magnitude through the end of this month and brighter in 11th, 12th magnitude through the end of December. Great. And the final interesting comet, and the faintest of the bunch, but also a bit of a surprise, is a short-period comet called 156P Russell Linear. Now, this is a comet that has rarely shown any cometary activity before. It was first discovered in 1986 by Kenneth Russell on uh, photographic plates taken with the UK Schmidt Telescope at Siding Spring Observatory in Australia. In fact, it was discovered on a single 90-minute plate, and it showed cometary activity at a little tail. Hmm. They tried observing it again in 86 and just couldn't find it again. The problem with plates, of course, is, you know, it's a single trail. You're not necessarily sure which direction it went in or even how fast it's going sometimes. Fast forward to the year 2000, and the Minor Planet Center was able to link up a bunch of discoveries, a photographic shoemaker discovery from 1993, as well as two linear CCD discoveries in 2000 with this object. So now all of a sudden we're finding this comet in multiple apparitions. Okay. But it didn't show any activity other than 1986. With the updated orbit, they were able to go back and look at their follow-up observations from 86, and they did actually detect it. But what's surprising is that all of a sudden here's a comet that is really low activity and boom, it has an outburst or appears that maybe it's had an outburst and it's 10th magnitude and has been 10th magnitude for about the last month or more. Hmm. Now it's possible what's going on is similar to what Howell experienced back when it was discovered and observed before its perihelion distance was out at 1.6 AU. Then in 2018, it passed within 0.4 AU Jupiter and that caused its perihelion distance to decrease and now it's got a 1.33 AU perihelion distance. Maybe that's all it took to heat up the nucleus sufficiently enough that now the object is active. So similar to the other comets, M3 and Howell, it's again, a big fuzzball. Um, This one's located on the evening side of opposition, so more Aquarius Pisces. So you will be able to observe it for at least another week before the moon becomes too much of a problem. And it's been holding steady around magnitude 10 to 11 for over the past month or so. So it doesn't see any hurry to fade out. Okay, great. So easy, well, fairly easy photographic object for telescopes to see. Right, right. Good. Yep. So that doesn't, that's a, you have any more for this year or that? That's pretty much for it this year. Um, There is one more comet coming in. It probably won't get it as bright as 10th magnitude, but it could be around magnitude 11, 12. And this is a 141P Machold, oh. discover, a visual discovery by, you know, one of our former Alpo comet section coordinators or recorders, mm-hmm. uh, Don Macholtz. And this was a comet discovered in 1994. And at that return, it was actually seen to be in at least five pieces. So it had recently split. Um, some of those pieces have come back over the years. 
the primary still seems to be going strong. And that comet should peak in January, but observers may start picking it up, especially large aperture observers, visual observers in December. It was observed a couple months ago at 21st magnitude by the surveys. I tried observing it with a CCD camera just a couple days ago and didn't detect it. So it's taking okay. its time um, brightening, but then again, that this comet is known for that. So don't be surprised, maybe not this month, but next month you'll start seeing visual observations of Mockholtz at you know, 11, 12 magnitude. Okay. I'm sure that'll be something we talk about on our annual comets of that year, comets of 2021 podcast that we're going to be doing in a few weeks. Yep. That'll be the first one. That'll be the one kicking off the, the yeah. And looking forward to 2021, lots of short period comets. That'll be nice and yeah. easy to see in backyard telescopes. Fun. We love our comets, don't we? Mm -hmm. Yes, we do. <laughs> uh, how, how, how were the observations that you received for uh, Neowise in the comet section this year? Oh, they were great. Um, we received over 200 images and sketches. Wow. And we've got almost 100 magnitude estimates. So nice. it was, I mean, for, the, for comet observations submitted to the comet section, it was the best observed comet since Hale-Bopp. Wow. That's yeah. great. That's great. And even though it's, you know, it's too close to the sun to be seen right now, by April, it should be far enough out that It'll be faint, but hopefully we'll continue to get more CCD observations of it. So our NeoWise campaign hopefully is not over yet. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. And we'll also have you on again soon to talk about your real job. Yep. OSIRIS-REx. Yes. So oh, what an exciting time with that. I really was glued to my computer watching those images come in. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. Yes, it was. Yeah. Um, yeah. We'll talk about that next time. Great. Yep. Well, Carl, how can everybody get a hold of you? So the best way to get a hold of me is to either go to the Alpo website and you click on comment section, and you'll see the contact information there. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm assuming at the bottom of this podcast, there'll be actual email address yes, where you can will. contact me as well. Great. Well, once again, it was a joy to have you on. Um, always entertaining and knowledgeable with our comments in the sky. And uh, hope you have a good holiday season. Same to everyone out there. All right. Take care. Okay. Bye. Well, that'll do it for this episode of the Observer's Notebook podcast. I want to thank again our guest, Carl Hergenrather, for coming on and talking about some recent comets in the sky. Get out there and observe them. We upload, a new pod, we upload a new episode of the podcast every few weeks, usually on the 1st and 15th. This one was a little bit late. I apologize for that. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. If you do, please rate and review us. I would really appreciate that. You can now listen on Apple Radio, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Google Play, Stitcher, and the Amazon Echo. You can help support the podcast by donating to it via Patreon by giving up to $35 a month where you receive one year's membership to the Alpo and producer credits on the podcast. And with that, I want to thank the producers of this podcast, Steve Seedentop and Michael Moyer for their generous support of the Observer's Notebook podcast. Thank you very much, gentlemen. The link for Patreon, as well as the link for the Alpo, is in the show notes. If you have any questions, you can contact me via email at cometman at cometman.net or on Twitter at ObserversNBPod. Until next time. My hope is you always have clear and steady skies. Thanks for listening and stay healthy, my friends. <laughs> <laughs>